thought we might have children's worship out in the playground this morning, but I, I guess that's, that's a big negative, you know, toughen them up for Jesus, right? So, um, so we're into the, uh, we've been on the Sermon on the Mount for the last uh, several months, and we're to the end of the section where Jesus says a number of times, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and today we're to, to the last one. Last week we talked about turning the other cheek and that retaliation is not an option for followers of Jesus said that was probably one of the hardest passages in the Bible. If that was the hardest, then today's is, is uh, the hardest, uh, uh, second hardest maybe, and that is to love our enemies. And so before I read the text, let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump in. Uh, pray with me. Fathers, we come to you today. Uh, we thank you for uh, the, the grace, uh, the love, uh, the provision of yours that is indiscriminate over the whole world. As we've already heard today, you make the rain fall and the sunshine on everybody. Everyone. The good and the bad. The people we like, the people we don't. Uh, the people that don't like us. Maybe even those who hate us. You're good to all. And so we stop what we're doing right now, we take account of that, and we take account of ourselves, and we ask that you would strengthen us and, and encourage us for uh, what you have for us to do. Lord, we confess that loving enemies is not something that comes naturally to us, but you already knew that about us. We were once your enemies, and you have made us your friends. And so as we think today about this, we confess our weakness and our utter inability in and of ourselves to do what you ask. And so we pray that you would teach us by your grace uh, to look like you, to look like our Father in heaven. Pray that you would bless us with that today. And Lord, I pray for those of us who love to nurse a grudge, who even as we sit here this morning, are carrying grudges, maybe even against people we're sitting next to, or even with people in the same room with us. Uh, we uh, know that our lives and our relationships are messy. You know it better because you died for that. And so as you have made your enemies, us, your friends, through the blood of Jesus Christ, help us. We pray in his name. Amen. So uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. Text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and send rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, so uh, as we've noted over the last several weeks, Jesus takes a common teaching of the day, a common teaching of the rabbis, where he says, you have heard it said, you've been taught this way, but what I'm going to tell you is what the law of God really means is this. 
And so today, uh, what he's going to address is the common teaching that the rabbis had taken from the Old Testament and they had obscured and even messed with. And that was, uh, the commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so they took the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself to say, yes, you should love your neighbor, and your neighbor is your fellow Israelite, uh, but everybody else, you know, your enemies, people who are outside of that, people that you don't care for, that kind of stuff, you don't have to love them, which I'm sure made everybody relax, <laughs> right? I'm sure that, I'm sure everybody was like, ooh, that is good news, right? So, so, the, so the fact is, what Jesus is saying, that was never the intention of the Old Testament. In fact, the Old Testament teaching is really clear. Now, I've included a couple of passages that I want to use here this morning to, to, to show you in very practical ways what the teaching of the Old Testament actually was and why the rabbis had gotten away from it. We know that in Exodus chapter 20, God uh, gives to Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And then there's a couple of chapters after that where God uh, very kindly and very mercifully gives to his people, here's how you apply this. This is how you do the law in the camp, in the community, in the nation where I'm going to settle you. This is, this is the practical application of that. And so in, in uh, Exodus 23, he gives a very practical application that applies to all of us who own uh, donkeys and oxen. He says, uh, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help with it. Now, that's, that's interesting, right? Because the way we tend to think about uh, the, you know, this, this kind of stuff and the way we tend to think about the Old Testament is there's not a lot of love there for enemies. But here's a very clear teaching from, the, from uh, God right there on Mount Sinai. Like, listen, let me make this practical for you. If you see your enemies' animals out there and they're in trouble, you go, you go take care of them. And, and the, you know, this... Uh, and let me be clear about this. You know, when uh, most of you, when you hear about donkeys and oxen, you think you think of uh, <laughs> you think of like Disney characters, <laughs> right? They're sweet and they're cute and they talk to you and they make jokes and that kind of stuff. Uh, the ox and the donkey in, in this uh, culture existed to serve people, unlike our culture that we exist to serve our animals, right? And so, this, these were, <laughs> these animals are means of production, okay? This, this is how they made their living, right? This is, this, is, this is somebody who hates you. This is their, not only their property, not only something that they find to be cute, but it's actually what they need to make their living, okay? So, so it's, a, it's a very clear uh, teaching here that even if you run into somebody who is your enemy, who hates you maybe, or you hate them, right? Or you've got a grudge against them, you see their animals out there, you help them. And it's not just because the donkey and the oxen are part of God's creation. Yes, they are. But you do that for the sake of your enemy, and if you think that there's something kind of odd about this, it, 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 just to kind of drive the point home a little bit further, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses says this, you shall not see your brother's ox, your brother's ox, or his sheep, going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you, 
and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house. And it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's which he loses. And you find you may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his oxen fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help them to lift them up again. So, so that's your brother's. So you do that for your brother. You also do that for your enemy. God's love is indiscriminate. God's care is indiscriminate. God's grace, his common grace of the sunshine, the trees, the water, the earth is for everybody. And our hope and our prayer would be that, that it is, as it is for everybody, that God would be even kinder to open the eyes of everyone, even our enemies, even those who might hate us, even as Jesus says here, our persecutors, that they might turn and take God at his word and, and embrace his love and come to him in faith and repentance, right? So that's, that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. Now, now, here's the thing that we have to do as we look at this text today. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at who our enemies are. Uh, we're going to look at what, uh, um, uh, who we are, which is really the most important question answered here, and then what we do. But the thing that's important for us to understand is who are our enemies, Now, I want to be clear, you know, Jesus says we love all our enemies, period. He's uncompromising on that. He's not backing off. There is one enemy, though, however, that you are not to love, that you are never to make peace with, that you are never to accommodate in any way or fashion. And that's who we've already prayed about this morning. Deliver us from the evil one. We, the the, the serpent, the ancient uh, one, who has been our problem from the very earliest days of creation, we never make peace with him, and we never love him. Because what you see about that is that when our first parents fell in love with him and aligned themselves with him, God would not have it. And God entered into a conflict there, a conflict with uh, the, the evil one, and he comes to us in pursuit, in grace, even as he takes Adam and even puts him out of the garden, he promises to them that he will redeem them, right? And so the, the, the fact of the matter is God is in the business of taking us when we turn away from him, taking us as his enemies and always pursuing us to make us his friends. So, so who are my enemies? That is an important question. And, and that is, it, it's such an important question for the church today. It, uh, one of the things that has been so disheartening is to see brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree politically count one another as enemies. Jesus died to make you brothers and sisters. And that bond transcends any social, political bond, period. End of discussion. Now, that doesn't mean we don't disagree. Holy cow, we should disagree. Let's have some disagreements. But the fact of the matter is, you are not my enemy if you disagree with me. You're my brother. You're my sister. And, and I, uh, when I treat you or think of you as my enemy, I uh, devalue 
the blood of Christ that was spilt to make us one. Let's be clear about that, right? But Jesus lays out for us here who our enemies are. First of all, he says, those who persecute you. I don't know who persecutes you. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, uh, Jesus mentions these people first, and it's so important for us to understand that because Jesus himself, as he is persecuted, as he is dying, what does he do? He prays for those who were killing him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, right? And so one of the things that Jesus does right here, and this, you cannot miss this, that, that when this command of Jesus to pray for those who persecute you was the dynamite of the early church. Have you ever wondered why this tiny band of persecuted, uh, obscure, uneducated, unsophisticated, uncultured people there in Jerusalem would change the world? As the end of Acts says, they turned the world upside down. It wasn't just because they had missionary zeal, they did. It wasn't just because Paul and others went all over the world to preach the gospel, they did. But in those tiny little enclaves of believers, in those tiny little places like Philippi and and like Antioch and places like that, those believers who lived there took this word seriously and they prayed for and they loved their persecutors. And listen, the early church, everybody persecuted them. The Jews hated them because they thought they were a a distortion of the Old Testament religion. Gentiles hated them because they were threatening their uh, economic well-being. You know, we read about this great riot in Ephesus when Paul goes there to preach the gospel. Who's leading the riot against Paul? You know, the most angry people in our culture, the silversmiths. You know, you ever met a silversmith before? They're just mad, aren't they? They're just angry people, right? No, the the silversmiths made idols. And if this new religion takes hold, we're out of business. We can't have that. Kill those guys. Put them in jail. That's a a subversive message there. We we don't want that. We don't want that. So virtually everywhere the Christians were, Everyone around them had an interest in persecuting them. The church changed the world because it served those people. It loved those people. It prayed for them, right? Secondly, Jesus mentions here people who are evil and unjust, right? God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, one of the things we have to be clear about, and one of the things that the gospel is very clear to eyed about is, and we shy away from this sometimes, but the Bible never does, there's evil in the world, and in fact, there are evil people. Let's be clear about that. That's true. There's no, no, uh, no, no getting around that. That's, that's very true. But, but we hear that and we think, oh, well, that's the end of the story. But the fact of the matter is, the, the, the truth is, that God's gospel is big enough, his love is big enough, that he takes evil people and unjust people and he makes them his own. He does that all the time. He did it to you. He did it to me. When I read that about the evil and the unjust, I think, man, I am so glad. Because I can tell you, I can think of some things in my life that are pretty evil. 
And that had been pretty evil. I was thinking about this this morning. I got up early to make the coffee, and we have this fancy lit-up thermometer in our kitchen that is the first thing you see when you walk into the the door, and uh, it said 15.9, you know, it's below 16, 15.9. That's cold. That's real cold. So I was having flashbacks to when I was a kid. Now, we all know that when we were children, it was polar, right? It was much colder then than it is now. Uh, and I was thinking about, yes, walking to the bus stop. And the bus stop was about a half a mile to three quarters of a mile from my house up a dirt road. Right? The, uh, the Mecklenburg County would not send their bus down our road to pick us up. So we had to walk up there. I know. I, I, live, I, I, I live the cliche. I am the cliche. And so there's, you know, any given day, there's eight to a dozen of us standing at the end of the road waiting for the bus to come, unattended, elementary kids, Lord of the Flies, <laughs> at the bus stop. If you, if you don't know what Lord of the Flies is, look it up, because that was us, and uh, mostly boys, farm boys, rough boys. And so, if some of you noticed today I had earmuffs on, well, I was having a flashback to that because what I used to do as a kid at the bus stop is I would identify the kids that I didn't like who didn't have their ears covered up, and I'd wait until they got good and red. And then I would come up from behind them and flick them as hard as I could. Yes, I'm that guy. (laughs) That's a silly... Example, because we, we, it, one, of the, one of the things that the gospel does for us is, is it enables us to kind of not take ourselves seriously. But the fact of the matter is, God takes his enemies, evil people, takes people who persecuted the church, people who stood there and held the coats of those who stoned the very first Christian martyr, And God met him on the road to Damascus and turned the world upside down. And it was hard for those Christians in Damascus to say, I'm supposed to let this guy in my house. And so one of the the things that we have to see that's so profound about that is, is that that's exactly the dynamic that exists in a living church. That even though it may be hanging on for dear life in a culture that hates it, it has a dynamic power by the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that enables us, evil and unjust people of our own ilk, to love those who would persecute us. He also mentions tax collectors. Now, this is a great time of the year to be talking about tax collectors, but these are not IRS agents, right? These are people who lived all over the Roman world who used the sword of Rome to swindle people, who used the sword and boot of Rome on the necks of the people to charge them more than they should have, to overcharge them, and, and to threaten their very lives. They were the most, some of the most hated people in these little villages. You know, people hated Zacchaeus because that's exactly what he did. And then lastly, Gentiles. Gentiles are all of those who were outside of the household of Israel, all of those who were not ethnically, religiously Jewish. 
And so, so Jesus identifies all of these people that his audience, who, who, if they had heard this, I'm, I am certain when he said that you've got to love these people, that a lot of the people that were there on the mountain might have decided, you know what? We've heard enough. Let's go to brunch. Right? Next slide. So, the, so as, we, as we lay this out here, we have to see that there's this crazy, impossible ethic that Jesus lays out in front of us. This, this thing that seems so far beyond us that, that we should feel conviction at this. That I, I, I nurse a grudge like I nurse a baby. You know, I, I, I hold these things so, so hard against those that, that hate me. And I, I know that there are people out there who want to persecute me because of my views or, or because of my position or, or because of my faith. All of those things are true. And at the same time, what you may miss about this text and the very power that drives it is who Jesus says we are. You would miss that if you're not careful because he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, right? As your heavenly Father is perfect. Listen, listen. You're not all alone in this. You're not left to your own devices in this. And you're not sitting here with a God who stands apart from you and says, hey, love those people, whether you like it or not. We're in his family. We belong to him. Our heavenly father, because of the work of Jesus Christ, throws open his arms to us. He loves you. You are dear to him. You matter. He sees you. He is for you. And nothing can change the love of a father for this child. Nothing. And so as he tells you this, what Jesus is getting at is, because your father loves you so much, and let me just say, maybe your earthly dad was not that great. But you know what you wanted. You know what your heart's desire was. This God is that and more. He's the best father. Better than any earthly father. Always present. Always full of love. Always full of a kiss. Always full of a hug. Always full of the welcome to say I love you. And it is that identity, it is that strength, it is that thing as a child of the living God who sits me at his table, the father who looks for me when I wander away, the father who welcomes me home, the father who throws the party for me every time I repent. That father empowers us, that father is close to us, near to us, and he enables us to love those that we want to cancel. To engage with and to pray for those who would hate us. You see, that's the very dynamic that we have working here. Because what is going on in us here is this, this, this thing, that, the, this identity that's changed. I'm not an orphan. I'm not alone. I have a place at my father's table. I can rest and I can relax because I am free. And because I am free, I can love. One day Peter came to Jesus and said, Hey, Lord, somebody asked me whether we pay the temple tax or not. <laughs> I love this question. That all the, the Jewish people had to pay a temple tax every year. And, and he's like, I didn't know how to answer him. What am I supposed to say? 
And Jesus, you know, always answers every question with a question. He says, Peter, let me ask you a question. Do the kings of the earth require their sons to pay taxes? Well, of course not. The son's got him made. The taxes are for him. And Jesus says, yep, you're right. You're free. I mean, Jesus is subtly telling Peter, Peter, you're a son of God. You're a son of the king. You're free. And you know what? Because you're free, we're going to pay the tax. And the best fishing story in the Bible. Go out there, catch the fish, reach in its mouth, and guess what? The tax will be in his mouth. Not only was he free, but God supplies his need to be able to do this thing to love those who had placed this tax upon them. You see, that, that's where we have to begin. We're not out here all alone. We're not all, all just calling upon our own resources. We belong to our Father in heaven. And so when I take that tiny step towards another who hates me to love him, I, I do that with the full assurance that my Father goes with me, he sees me, and he will give me what I need to do what he's called me to do. So what do we do? Well, the thing that's clear about this text is is that we pray, right? We pray for our persecutors. Jesus prayed for the men who drove the spikes into his hands and feet. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Now, I want to be clear about this, too, that when Jesus says that we pray for our persecutors and for those who hate us, there's something that must happen when we do that. When you intercede on behalf of someone else, you stand with them before God. Isn't that crazy? You stand with them before the very throne of God and say, God, see this person here who hates me. Love them. Be kind to them. Open their eyes. Change them. Not only do you stand with them before God, but you stand for them. You become their advocate before the Father. You ask God to take this person, take this institution, take this thing that would do you harm, and we, you ask God to eternally bless them, and draw them into his family. How awesome is it going to be when you get to heaven? How awesome is it going to be when you see people there who persecuted you but who came to faith because you took a risk and prayed for them? You think the bells in heaven are going to ring? You think the angels are going to sing? Because God gets so much glory in that. And so when we pray for the people who hate us, we pray for our enemies, we pray for our persecutors, 
What we're doing there is we pray that God would change them, God would renew them, that God would be gracious to them, that, that this common grace that is available to all of them would drive them to see the unique grace, the particular grace that is ours in the cross of Jesus Christ. That because of the blood of Jesus, this person can be changed and can be taken from the status of our enemy of, as a very enemy of God and changed forever into his child and our brother or sister. And so when we pray, we pray that God would get glory, and we pray that he would get glory in their salvation. And if he's not going to get glory in their salvation, we pray that God would get glory in his judgment. But either way, our heart's desire is that we entrust our enemies, that we entrust our persecutors, that we entrust the unjust, that we entrust the evil person, that we entrust the outsider, that we entrust the tax collectors in our lives into the hands of God. Because he's good, and he's just, and he's gracious, and he's merciful, and we can trust him with these, our enemies. You see, the very nat nature of this uh, gospel is that we extend ourselves to those uh, furthest away from us. Because Jesus says here something interesting, right? So if you only greet your brother, right? then what good does that do? In other words, what do we do? It's not just that we greet. That word greeting there refers to the fact that we extend ourselves in hospitality to those who are, in, who are our enemies. Wow, that, is, that really, that's where the, the rubber meets the road, right? That, that, that the fact is that what changes us and what changes our dynamic is our willingness because of our confidence in our Father in heaven, uh, because he has set us at his table, that we will seat our enemies at our table. So I'm going to, before, before we do anything else, before we say anything else, we need grace, don't we? We need so much help. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. Sorry. That his blood covers you and your grudge. That his blood covers you and your fear. That his blood covers you and your coldness and your hardness. And it melts you. And it changes you into one who could love your enemy. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body, and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it, and he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's confess our sins together by using this uh, confession. It's printed in our bulletin on the screens behind me. Pray with me. Almighty and merciful Father, you created us for communion with yourself and one another. But we rebelled and made enemies of our maker and each other. 
We have despised your providence, doubted your love, and become a law unto ourselves. We believe that human wrath would work the righteousness of God, and so have taken matters into our own hands. Still, you remembered us, our God, for good. In your tender mercy, you gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption. He made there a full atonement for our sin, offering once for all the sacrifice of himself. We thank you that your mercy is higher than the heavens, wider than our wonderings, and deeper than all of our sins. Grant us repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, that we may desire what is good and gladly live in union with him. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his followers. Such good news that our God takes enemies and makes them not just friends, certainly that, but dear children. That's our testimony. That's our hope. And so when we extend ourselves in grace to those who may hate us, our hope and our prayer is that God would do the same in them that he has done in us. There's great hope in that. There's great joy in that. And there's great grace for us in Jesus Christ to enable us to believe, to take him at his word, and then to take a tiny step towards those who it is difficult for us to love. If your only hope today, your only claim today uh, to uh, a place at God's table is what Jesus has done for you, and you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, Jesus welcomes you today, even with your grudges. didn't like those grudges, but he knows you. Remember, he died for you when you were his enemy. And so, so now, as his dear brother or his dear sister, he is our older brother after all, he reminds you today of what he has done for you and how much he loves you. If that's your hope. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. He welcomes you today. 
We want you, he wants you to be renewed, encouraged, nourished, to take up your cross, to take up his cross, and follow him. Because wherever he leads is good. So as the uh, elders uh, come down front to assist me, let me just remind you of a couple of things. Um, You'll see the signs here in front of the table where where the juice and the gluten-free wafers are, where the wine and the gluten-free wafers are. If you're visiting with us today, what you'll notice is when you come down in the tray, you'll see two cups like this, a cup on top with juice or wine in it, and a cup underneath with a tiny little um, um, gluten-free wafer. Um, If you are unable to come forward, raise your hand, and we'll uh, see to it that you get served. Uh, Once everyone is served, uh, we'll eat the bread and drink the cup together.